Hello and welcome to Moving Kentucky Forward. I'm Bruce Maples, publisher of Forward Kentucky. When Charles Booker left the State House to run for another office, there were some questions about who might follow him in Frankfurt. Well, it soon became clear that Pamela Stevenson, Colonel Pamela Stevenson, was up for it and was going to take his place in the legislature. I had a chance to interview Pamela Stevenson as she is now running for another term. And I have to tell you, this woman is a force of nature. I enjoyed the interview, and in fact, I was inspired by it. So I hope you will take time to listen as I talk with Colonel Pamela Stevenson. So I'm here today with Pamela Stevenson, who is a rep who was in one district and is sort of in a different district and is still running. So Pamela Stevenson, welcome to Moving Kentucky Forward. And thank you, Bruce, for all you do for Kentucky and for standing that Kentucky moves forward. That's right. We hope so. So let's let's get the redistricting stuff out of the way right up front. Tell everybody that's listening where you were, where you are, what happened, so on and so forth. I am the state rep for District 43. And before redistricting, I had no opponents. After redistricting, uh, a lot, a number of Democratic candidates were uh, dumped into the same districts, including mine. And several, a couple of them decided not to run. And one person decided that uh, they would run. So now I have an opponent and we are in a primary. So this is a fairly heavily Democratic district. So unless something unusual happens, the primary is basically the election. That's it. Who is the person running against you? The uh, the the my opponent is Robert Bell. He's um, a Democratic Socialist and he is in the race. All right. How long have you been representing this district? This I am running for my second term. So I've been in two sessions in uh, Frankfurt and we're completing my second session next week. Uh, which bless your heart. That's just so much fun. I can't even begin to think how much fun it must be. So I just want to give our listeners a chance to get to know you a little better. Uh, and frankly, give myself a chance to get to know you a little bit better. What's your day job? I mean, you, I'm assuming you don't just work for the legislature. Yeah. I served in the United States air force for 27 years. Mm. Uh, retired um, as a colonel. And then I came, Kentucky's my home state. I was born and raised here. Right. I lived in West Louisville. I returned to West Louisville. And then I began to look at how can I move from serving America to serving Kentucky? Mm-hmm. Because Kentucky's on the bottom of a lot of lists. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it doesn't make any sense because I've been in 11 countries. I've been all across the United States of America. And no other st- state has anything special over us. So the question for me became, why are we at the bottom of these lists? And I started researching and looking and trying to find the best way I could fit in to make the difference so that every Kentucky family thrives. Um, And my mom and my my mom has 15 brothers and sisters. We call them the French 15. (laughs) My dad has three brothers and sisters. Some of them have passed. But when we grew up in West Louisville, the one thing they always said was, you got to make this better than it was before you got there. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I'm an associate minister at Oak Grove Missionary Baptist Church, where my grandfather started it. And my uh, cousin is currently uh, Reverend Alice French Johnson. She's the, she's the current pastor. Mm-hmm. And her position is, we must do for the people as the Bible commands us. So feed, clothe, healthcare, and education. Make sure that's readily available. And she takes actions on that commitment uh, consistently. Mm-hmm. So what was, so you're, you're running for your second term, so you've done two sessions. We could make a, a long comparison between the legislature and the armed forces, and we could probably ride that for a while. But what was it like showing up in Frankfurt that first session and, and seeing what went on? I was, I guess I would say, surprised. I didn't know how sausage was made. I thought I knew. I read all the books. I, I've been involved at some level. But to actually be behind the scenes and see what people focused on. And it wasn't necessarily that all families thrive. That's what was shocking to me. And I've been in 11 countries. I've negotiated with people where I didn't speak the language. In the Middle East, where they didn't appreciate people of color or women, I didn't speak that language. Italy, France, Germany. And one of the hardest things has been negotiating and talking with people from Kentucky that don't share the same viewpoint that I do, that we have a responsibility to take care of people. So going into that session, I was very happy, very optimistic, very, we're going to get this done. We all work together. I know it's 75 of them, 25 of us, but the presumption was everybody cared about people. Mm. That was my presumption. And when I discovered that other things were at play, I was I was disappointed. Mm. So let's let's put a, a figure on it. So out of the 100 people that you're working with there, what sort of percentage do you think actually care about serving the people? It's um, hard to put a fig- figure on it because. A lot of them are pastors and they say they serve the people. A lot of them say the only reason they're up there is to serve the people. And yet in the midst of a pandemic, the first 10 bills last session was to strip Andy Brashear of power. So how is that caring for people? If you cared about people, our first order of business would have been to make sure that that everybody had shelter and whatever was available as people were losing their jobs and those type things. We didn't do that. Yeah. We spent the first part of the session stripping the governor of powers. So if you don't go by their words, but as Rachel Maddow says, don't listen to what they say, look at what they do. Exactly. uh, What would that look like? Would you say there'd be 10 people, 20 people, 30 people? I would say there are some people in the legislature on the, in the 75 that care about people. And it's a system. Like I, in my freshman class, there were 21 people, one Democrat, me, and then 20 Republicans were all new legislators. Mm-hmm. And the, the 20 were learning just like I was, and they were uh, assimilated into do what we tell you to do type thing. Mm. Now, some of them are breaking out of it, but they still have a tight hold on this is the way that the party should vote. So I I can't really put like 
there are 10 people that believe in people. I think there are probably some people that believe in it and they think their way is the best way. But then there's some others that I often ask, how do you think this is helping people? Hmm. And, and I will say there's a, at least there are a number of them that will listen. They'll have a conversation. Now, that's important because without conversation, nothing can change. Nothing can shift. You can't find the common ground that you can't agree on. Because I believe if you if you uh, operate in the areas where you agree, we can still move Kentucky forward. Mm-hmm. But we always get stopped because we start with the hard issues. Abortion. Uh, who's the boss? Those type things. And then we get stymied and don't take care of the children that are in foster care being abused that we know of. The right. elderly people that were on a year-long waiting list for Meals on Wheels. We don't get to that. So when you try to have these conversations, do you ever, I mean, obviously with some Republicans and some Democrats, you actually can have a conversation mm-hmm. and you're actually, you're actually talking honestly. Yes. Do you ever get the feeling, though, that somebody is just um, putting up with the conversation because there is a force greater than this behind them? So they are listening to lobbying or money or something? I would say this year, my second session is more of that. It's been like a steamroller. It's been it's just like we have the power. So we are. And some of the things that they've accomplished for no reason other than they can. Like, for example, why in the pandemic 22 days early and deprive people that are relying on pandemic food stamps, those food stamps? Yeah. Except that you can. And then towards the latter part of the session, all the bills and all the amendments and all the things that were floating in the air and mismatched and suspending the rules so you can get something done and making sure that the bill gets through whether the public has seen it or not. That type of thing has been more prevalent this session uh, because everyone has grown into their power, their sphere of influence, and they can. I was... I have always known about the suspending the rules and getting things moved quickly, which somebody asked me, I mean, I get asked this regularly, isn't that illegal? And I'm like, no, it's not illegal. It's a legitimate part of Robert's rules of order in any parliamentary procedure. You can suspend the rules and you can substitute an entire text of a bill if you want to do that. Now, whether it's morally justifiable or ethically justifiable, that's another thing. You, you've been there two sessions. Would you say there was a lot more of this ram it through in a day kind of thing this year than last? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. See, the the people that wrote Robert's Rules and the people that built this country and, and, and this great experiment we call democracy, they all unimplied was that they were gentlemen and they would follow the rules and they would do something for the greater good. And once you take out I'm a gentleman. I'm going to follow the rules. I'm doing something for the greater good to build democracy. When democracy becomes at stake, then that's when we're in a dangerous place. Okay, let's follow up on that. Would you say that we are in a dangerous place in Frankfurt in terms of democracy? Anytime you the processes that are in place to make sure that the three branches of government are separate 
and have their own rules and you start chopping away at that, for example, realigning the uh, the executive ethics board and telling the governor who he can't appoint and who he can't, mm-hmm. like the number of people, or anytime you start taking power from the governor and giving it to a legislative body that's only in session a short period of time, the emergency orders for COVID. It's like COVID by committee. Yeah. So that goes at the foundation of a democracy. The separate, the separate powers of each branch serve a purpose. And we took some actions, and I say we, we voted against a lot of it, but we're still part of the General Assembly. We took some actions that took dead aim at the democratic way of life. When you would, I assume you would bring this up in committee meetings and on the floor and so on and so forth. And what did the Republicans say to that? Uh, get different responses. Oh, you're overgeneralizing. Oh, it's not that serious. Oh, we're not doing that. Oh, this is what's best. Oh, uh, it's hyperbole. That's what the DMs always do. But I asked them to look at your actions and tell me that when you take power from the executive branch and give it to yourself, when you refuse to give teachers a raise, but you give yourself a raise, when you tell the Supreme, the, the court system, what tr- or you try to tell the court system how to run the court system, when you reach down to Jefferson County and you tell the mayor that you should be a um, nonpartisan um, mayor and you try to ram that through, when you t- try to tell Jefferson County that you can allow people to... Uh, cities to organize as cities and the Jefferson County still has to provide services. When you start doing those type of actions, that's when you go at what makes democracy work. So if if this is going on, and of course it is, then why are you wanting to go back? Because we must stand in the gap for the next generation. What goes up must come down. And if we're not here, if we're not the voice, they wouldn't even have to suspend the rules. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. This is true. So at least we get to put on the record that somebody during this day, this time said no, enough, and they didn't listen. And it happens in a short period of time, just like um, the, the day, the bill to cut the pandemic emergency short. When that bill was presented to committee, we said, you're going to hurt people to the tune of $50 million. And the sponsor said, no, no, it's not. After the governor vetoed it and we had given them documented evidence that people will lose the ability to buy food because they'll lose food stamps. They said, well, let the governor take care of it. Now, what reason would you do that when we already have it in place, the federal government has already said until April the 15th, we'll provide you with food stamps and SNAP benefits because you're in a state of emergency that's going to end on April the 13th or 15th. And yet we, Kentucky, went in against its own people and said, end it early. We stood up and we talked about that at length on the floor because when the bill came back for our override, they, they, the answer was, well, we knew, I knew, but the governor can fix it. Now, a year from now, it will be, I didn't know. Yeah. We're making the record. 
And we're also being a voice for people that see, they see this happening and they feel like nobody is for us. Doesn't anybody understand what I'm going through? And when they hear us speak on the floor, it gives them a little hope, even when it goes um, towards the 75. I have to say that listening to you right now gives me hope. Uh, Gives me hope for uh, democracy in Kentucky at the same time that it makes me even more worried than I was. So I don't know if it's possible to have both of those emotions at the same time, but I guess that's the way you deal with it every day is a combination of worry and hope. It really is, Bruce. And here's the here's the problem I face. The only thing we have, the only reason democracy works is because the people believe believe in democracy. Mm-hmm. And when you, anything I say that could harm that belief, that will harm them going out to vote, that would harm them thinking their life matters, I want to say it in a way that gives them hope. Because the only way out of this, besides faith, the only way out of this is that citizens are engaged. And I don't want to do anything to have them not be engaged. And yet they have to know where we are. Mm-hmm. Like every bill takes away something. It's not like a one bill that says we're going to go back to segregation. No no one bill. They wouldn't do that. But when you put all the little pieces of every bill together, you find that you've lost some very valuable ground. Like the redistricting bill. Um, Kentucky has 100 seats, three of 100 state rep seats, three of those seats were in the Western part of Louisville. After redistricting, Western, the Western part of Louisville has two seats. Now, how is two seats more powerful than three seats? It's not. And yet that's what they said on the floor. We did you a favor. So we're looking at the veto days. Uh, are there any of the vetoes that you think have a chance of not being overridden? Do you think that there's any veto that will stand? No, I think their number one job is shown by uh, the the work that we did last session and the work that we did this session. Every time the governor vetoes something, the first order of business when we get back is to override the the veto as soon as possible through both Mm -hmm. chambers. So I I fully expect that when we get back, the first order of business Tuesday morning is to rip through the vetoes just so they can show who the boss is and uh, demonstrate to him where the power lies. What do your constituents, I'm sure your constituents talk to you regularly. Oh my gosh, they talk to me, yes. So what what sort of things do they say? You, you're talking about being engaged. Do they follow this? Do they realize what's happening? Or is it pretty much a, I gave up paying attention years ago? I think you have both because I... Um, Talk when I, I talk to there are some people that watch the news, they get it from the news, or they get it from KET, and they follow it and they're fearful of following it because they see what's happening. And then I have others who don't follow quite as closely, but they have the basic bottom line. They always want ask me questions like, why did they do that? Why do they not like poor people? What did I do wrong? Why can't I? I'm not lazy. Um, when we had the argument on the floor about reducing food stamps, 
because of reducing the um, state of emergency by 22 days. By the time I left the floor and got back to my office, I had an email from, and the email started out, I'm not your constituent, I can't vote for you, but I wanted to say thank you because I don't know what I would do without my $100 in food stamps that I get because I get because I lost my job due to COVID. Mm-hmm. And that woman got up off her couch, went to the computer, went to the website, found my picture and email to send that short, encouraging to me message. So they're watching because they're fearful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we cut unemployment benefits. And here's the thing about unemployment benefits. They cut unemployment benefits. We voted against it. People that get unemployment benefits had a job. That's the only way you get them. Right. So it's sort of like they earned that because they paid into it. And then number two, they're not lazy people. They had a job. Mm-hmm. So this rhetoric around let's cut unemployment so people benefit so people can get back to work is just that rhetoric. Now, am I saying that some people don't take advantage of the system? No, I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is you don't change the whole system to punish everybody because a few people are being dishonest. Find those people and deal with it, but don't punish the whole body of people. So when you are talking to your constituents and trying to keep them engaged, you talk about what goes up must come down. And and eventually we hope this will, uh, you know, flip another way. But I really appreciate the fact that you're talking about leaving a record, being able to say, hey, we we stood against this, which I think is important. So let me ask you this. You served in the armed forces. Uh, Air Force, right? Yes. And rose to colonel, which is not a small thing. Where do you see yourself going into the future? I mean, you got into electoral politics here and you decide you want to be a candidate and you won and now you're doing it again and you, you may win again. Is this it or are you wanting to move into other electoral fields or do you want to start a business or is there, are there other things you want to do? Well, I, um, I, I want to clear up a little something because I, I want to encourage people every day, people that think they have something to give to give it. I won my, I lost my first race mm. and then my second race I won. So it is the field where like coaches in the professional sports, they expect to be fired as part of the game. Yeah. Well, you, you, you might lose some races, but that's part of the game. And then secondly, I have traveled all over the world resolving problems for America. Loved it. Loved it. Being in the Middle East, being in Croatia, negotiating um, to make sure we had what we needed. And the one thing I wanted to do was come home and do the same thing for Kentucky. Hmm. And I'm doing that. I love being a state rep because I love helping people. Now, I tell, I tease my Republican friends, and I do have Republican friends all the time. I said, you guys, nobody would care who was in charge if you made sure that 
people uh, were not homeless, the people were not hungry, health care and education. Let's do that. And then we don't worry about who's in charge because people are being taken care of. But we start worrying about it when we find that people, working class people are falling to the wayside and are not getting what they need to live this one life. Pamela Stevenson, candidate for state rep again. Thank you so much for being with us. I think that your passion is inspiring. And I love the perspective you bring because of your international work and coming back to Kentucky, which can sometimes seem like a foreign country. (laughs) It's sometimes. Thank you so much. I love Kentucky. You are so welcome. Thank you for having me. And thank you for standing for what's possible for Kentucky. That was Pamela Stevenson, who is running to represent District 43 once again in the State House. It was a great interview, and I actually was inspired listening to her talk about her work and about her passion for democracy and for standing up for people in Frankfurt. I wish her the very best, and I really thank her for being on our show. We have a lot more podcasts coming up that we've got guests scheduled, special guests. I hope you will subscribe if you haven't already and follow us on Apple Podcasts and all the other podcast apps and come to the website forwardky.com and listen to some of the other ones that we have posted. Thanks for being with us and we'll see you in the next podcast. Thank you.